Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For my third and last segment, I'll be talking with college finance consultant Shannon Vasconcelos, former financial aid officer at Boston University. She and I will be answering listener questions. But for my first two segments, I'm so excited to be talking to representatives of the Point Foundation, the nation's largest scholarship-granting organization for LGBTQ students of merit. Point promotes change through scholarship funding, mentorship, leadership development, and community service training. Here to talk to us about some of the challenges faced by LGBTQ students in college and what they can do to prepare them are Point's program manager, Jonathan Rosales, and student scholar Bryce Saloto. And I apologize, I probably uh, mispronounced their name, so I'll ask them to let us know how they pronounce it when they come on. I also want to add that Bryce deserves our congratulations for recently earning his master's in teaching from Brown University. He'll be starting as a teacher for 10th graders in Oakland in the fall. Welcome, Jonathan and Bryce. Thank you so much, Sally, for the introduction. Oh, absolutely. And again, I do apologize for um, slaughtering your last name, so <laughs> you can correct me at some point in the call. Um, I've heard so, much worse. Okay. No okay. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Well, my last name is Ganga, so that gets in, mispronounced a lot, too. So, um, All right. So there's a lot to cover, but I thought, you know, um, what might be most accessible to our audience is to sort of start with an anecdote. Um, I was recently advising the father of a high school trans man on um, college selection. And while his son is out in high school as trans, um, as he had transitioned in middle school, his plan, as I talked to his father, was that he wasn't going to be out in college. Um, He's a South Carolina resident. He was looking at their public universities, and he was going to disclose to administrators in order to get a single in the dorms, but not be out to students or take advantage of the college's LGBTQ resources or student organizations. And so I admit I was concerned that he might need a support system and that he wouldn't have it. You know, I think that he hadn't felt that he needed one outside of his friends and family in high school. But I I sort of felt like they might be different in college. But on the other hand, I'm not LGBTQ. I didn't know what to advise him. So I'm just kind of curious how you might advise a young man in the same circumstance. Um, Yeah, so this is Bryce. Um, So it's funny that you mentioned uh, he's considering going to school in South Carolina because my little brother, who's not LGBTQ, but he just finished his first um, year at Clemson University in Clemson, South Carolina, which is uh, the biggest and and the largest public university in South Carolina. So um, I would say, first and foremost, based off my experiences, when I started college at 19 at a very small school in East Tennessee, um, I had just begun my transition. So I was uh, not as far along as this young man sounds often be. And I know for me, having that support system was super, super critical, especially because Maryville College, while the college is really progressive and very forward thinking, um, the, the rest of East Tennessee is not so much the most progressive and forward thinking place. So for me, having that support system on campus really meant a lot to me. Uh, we had a really small but mighty GSA at Maryville. There was about like 10 of us that came to meetings frequently, um, but it did really make a big, big difference. And um, so I, I was say, you know, do what's more comfortable for you. Some people feel really, really comfortable being out and being a part of the LGBT, um, you know, group on campus or having their fellow students know they're trans. Um, But some trans people also are more comfortable being stealth and not necessarily being out. Um, So I would say first and foremost, or foremost, definitely do like what's most comfortable for you. But at the same time, there are really great support services on campus. Um, in a place like South Carolina, where the state is more politically conservative, I think it's even more important to take advantage of those resources that are on campus. Um, and if he's going to Clemson, I don't know if he's going to Clemson or USC or what big school, but if he's going to Clemson, I know personally, again, for my brother being a student there, even though he's not LGBT, I know Clemson has really, really great support services for LGBT students. Um, so I, that's kind of my, my take on it. 
Mm-hmm. That's helpful. And yeah. I, yeah, I mean, and, and he definitely wanted to go to one of the public schools to save money. So it wasn't sort of um, viable, I think, for him to head north to a more traditionally supportive place. I'm sorry, Jonathan, I cut you off. No, I was just going to say, you know, as the, the program director at Point Foundation, you know, we, I oversee our selections process. So I see thousands, literally thousands of applications from LGBTQ students every single year. Um, and the variety of experiences is, is vast. Um, and it really is a personal decision in terms of, of the degree of outness that people want to, to be. Um, and, you know, I think it's important that they sort of, you know, know what their environment is, because in some cases it certainly can be a safety issue as well. Um, but I completely second what Bryce said. You know, I think that support system is important. And, you know, I think it's possible to be out, um, you know, if, if, if they don't want to be out to, to everybody, it's possible to still be selectively out. Um, to find that support system and, 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 you know, go to the LGBT resource center on campus if they have one, or at the very least the, the LGBT group um, if they have that, and, and try to build up that support network there because, you know, as LGBTQ people, you know, community is so important and having to, to go through the college experience on your own regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity can be pretty difficult. So finding that tribe can really um, help make that a successful experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will say that this father had been uh, very pleased with administrators' reactions. So he had, they had, um, his son had selectively outed himself and the administrators had all said, not a problem, we'll support you. You know, you'll have a single and everything. So... Um, but I think your advice about everyone needing supports is is pretty valid. And I, I'm, you know, I, I just wasn't sure how to advise them. So I was so glad to have you on the radio show today to kind of delve into it a little more. Um, and I was wondering, I mean, I was hoping that the two of you, you know, have you had some experiences yourself that you sort of bring up? Like if you're sitting down with a young um, LGBTQ student who's maybe a junior in high school and is sort of wondering what should they think about um, when they're considering college. You know, I mean, on top of obviously a great academic program, you know, a, a, you know that that meets, that fits their needs. What additional things might they want to consider compared to a student who's straight, for example? Yeah, yeah, so I know. think kind of taking back off what we've already talked about a little bit in terms of support, I think. Um, so when I did go to Maryville College, I went completely blind. Like, I didn't know at all, like, how supportive they were of LGBT issues. I didn't know, like, the student vibe on campus. And I kind of got lucky. <laughs> um, looking back on it, though, like, 18, 19-year-old me really wishes I would have um, ask more questions, maybe. So, like, really, like, asking, hey, like, do you have an LGBT center on campus, like Jonathan alluded to? Or, like, if you don't have an LGBT center, um, oftentimes schools that have women's centers, women's centers are oftentimes kind of become de facto LGBT centers on campus. Or um, if, if you don't have that, just even, like, having, like, a student group that's dedicated to LGBT issues. So I definitely think that's one thing, like, looking for those clubs on campus or those supportive safe spaces on campus. Um, and even more than that, I think looking at professors, I think oftentimes you only think about doing that when you're applying to graduate school is looking at specific professors. But if you're a junior in high school, let's say, and you're interested in, like, biology or history, maybe taking a look at the professors in that department and seeing if they've done any research on LGBT issues or if even if they're, like, supportive of LGBT issues, sometimes, you know, professors will write op-eds in student newspapers or whatever. Um, so I think just, like, really doing a little bit of research and saying, hey, is this a place where I'm going to have support systems, like professors, like student organizations? Um, also, like, if you have if you have maybe older friends that already go to that school, definitely use them as a resource. I think oftentimes um, high school students kind of forget that. Um, as a teacher, I definitely have, have, taught, have taught students or work with students that have older siblings that are already in college. Um, and I think whether or not their siblings or friends are LGBT or not, just kind of asking them, hey, what's the vibe on campus? Like, you know, like, have you had any problems? Kind of just getting a sense from people you already know. Um, so I think those are, like, for me, the biggest things um, is just kind of 
trying to get as much of a feel for the school before you get there, and then looking for, like, LGBT-specific support systems that are in place. Those are, like, the first things that I think of. Yeah, I actually... Yeah, I, I remember really... when I was applying I'm... to the college 15, 16 years ago, and, you know, all of those college guides that are out there, they're really useful, um, and they were really mm-hmm. useful to me back in the day, but nowadays, I really, I would recommend just self-research because the internet is such a tool that I didn't really have available to me back when I was applying to college. And, you know, like Bryce said, finding the, you know, I would say finding a school, first of all, that you're interested in is number one, but then do your research on that school um, and, you know, find out if they do have that LGBT resource center or or a GSA or any other type of uh, LGBTQ-friendly campus groups. And then look at social media, too. You can find groups of people that uh, attend that school and reach out to them. That's another tool that I did not have available to me back when I was applying to school that I think has completely revolutionized um, things for for students uh, in this day and age. So I would just encourage students to go out there and do their own research because all of the information is out there and you have tools today um, that really make it all possible for you to get all of that uh, information at your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Bryce. I'm much more interested in gonna... hearing you guys talk. <laughs> no, I was going to say on the social media note, to be a little more specific, to guide students maybe a little more, like most schools, especially major colleges and universities, will have Facebook groups for prospective students or interested students. So you could like search like Clemson University, like prospective students, or you could search like, you know, Brown University, like whatever school you're interested in on Facebook, they usually have like groups that are there. So just like taking back off of Jonathan's point on social media, which I totally didn't even think of. So like, thank you so much for bringing that up, Jonathan. I, I do think social media, you know, teens use it like every day, all day anyway. So, you know, just take the extra five to 10 minutes to search for the college or university you're interested in and see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say too, just to to add one more note to that is to you know sort of remove any pre preconceived um, biases that you have about schools you know at least geographically um, going into it you know we have point scholars and alumni that have attended schools all across the country and yeah a lot of them are in you know blue states in New England and the Bay Area or what have you, but we've had point scholars in Alabama and Mississippi and uh, Oklahoma and all these other states that you don't traditionally think of as being LGBTQ friendly, but um, college towns are usually uh, much more open-minded and uh, progressive. And so, you know, even if you are interested in going into one of those schools, I wouldn't write it off immediately just assuming that it's not LGBTQ friendly. Um, that research can really help you out there because we, re- we really have had point scholars and alumni at, all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a friend of mine went to Ole Miss and found a really strong lesbian community there. And this was a few decades ago now. So that was really striking to me because um, my assumption, of course, was that Ole Miss would have been very conservative. Um, so I want to just back up one of your points, Bryce, about researching what professors do too, because I think this obviously isn't always the case, but you know, you might as a student, I know that as a feminist, I was interested in doing, you know, I studied history, I was interested in doing work in women's history and feminist history, and mm-hmm. I didn't even think to check and make sure that there was a faculty member interested in that subject. Luckily, there were, but I think that's a wonderful thing to check on. If you think that you're going to be wanting to do something related to gender-oriented studies, it's good to see if there's faculty already there doing that kind of work. So. Yeah, definitely. And again, I think people only tend to think of that for grad school. Like, oh, like if you're applying to a PhD program or a master's program, of course you want to make sure there's faculty at that school that 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 um, has experience and interest in your research area. But I think for undergrads, that can be really, really valuable too. And I think most of the time, undergrads forget about that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's interesting, um, Jonathan, what you pointed out about, you know, red state, blue state, don't assume that the red state is automatically a bad idea. And I would say by, I would also say don't automatically assume that every college in a blue state is going to be supportive. I worked with a gentleman, a young man who went to a small college in Massachusetts of all places. I mean, you would really think would be supportive. And um, he 
told he came to meet it for help with transferring because he was the only he said the faculty and administrators had been very very supportive but he was the only out gay student on campus and had really dealt with some pretty upsetting um he didn't feel physically threatened but had dealt with some upsetting homophobic uh incidents you know like not being allowed into a male student's room because he was gay and things like that so just I, that was really noticeable. And I, I kind of wanted to follow up on that. I mean, you've given already some really good suggestions about going on social media, et cetera. But are there ways to kind of dig deeper into what a student might need to think about? Um, yeah. I, mean, I would say if you have the resources available, I know not everyone does, unfortunately, but if you have the resources and the time to do so, visit as many schools as you're interested in. And that doesn't necessarily mean go on 15 college tours, as that would get expensive and take a lot of time and be a little crazy. But, you know, if you know you have, like, three to five target schools, um, you know, I, I would say try to visit if you can. Because I think you're right, like social media is awesome and you can learn a lot, but I think really being on campus um, will give students or prospective students a better kind of like vibe for, for the field, the campus, how it is, the, the, the various communities that are on campus, not just the LGBT community. So they also like really want to emphasize that, that it's important to get involved in other groups on campus and to, to kind of go out of their comfort zone, college time to do that. So I think like if you have the ability, you know, take take a summer or take, you know, your spring break or whatever and try to go just go visit um, you know, three to five colleges. Even if you can't go visit your dream school, maybe there's a college 10, 15 minutes on the street. Just go visit that college. Just to kind of see what the campus vibe is like um, and how different schools work. So that would be my piece of advice on that front. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say to you, Bryce. I, yeah. Couldn't agree more <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. Well, we actually have to take a break now, so we will come back to that. Yeah, we'll be back in just a few minutes to continue our discussion. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you looking to get more from your relationship? Why is it that some people just seem to have a better sex life, better marriage, and a closer, more meaningful relationship? Find out the best-kept secrets and more on The Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Carol and David will share insight about the swinging lifestyle and how it has strengthened their love and marriage, not to mention their great sex. Tune in every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Let's continue our conversation about LGBTQ youths and their path through the application process in college itself. Um, so, Bryce, we were we were talking a little bit on break about your experience, what might almost have ended up being a positive about going to college in a red state uh, that the you know what? Please tell our listeners what you were telling me. Yeah. So um, when I first started college at Maryville College in Tennessee, um, you know, again, Tennessee is a very red state. And when I was there, it was 2011-ish, I want to say. And in that particular year, the Tennessee state legislator was trying to pass a handful of incredibly anti-LGBT legislation. Um, so like I, said, my, like I said earlier, my school was very, very friendly. Maryville College was a great place for LGBT students. But outside of campus, the legislator was trying to pass all these bills. Um, high school students, local high school students, were having a really hard time starting gay straight alliances at their schools. They were having principals and administrators tell them they couldn't and threatening them. So um, a professor at my college at Maryville, um, she was really, really involved in the local LGBT community because her kids, a couple of her kids were LGBT identified. So this professor was really, really involved in the community, and she found me on campus one day, I remember, and she like, was like, oh my god, I've heard so much about you, and she was really excited to meet me because I was the first like openly trans student ever, apparently, at my college. Um, and she like wanted to get me involved in all this work that was happening outside of campus in terms of like actually going to Nashville and like going to the legislator and lobbying and doing all this work to try to fight these bad bills that were hurting LGBT youth. So I kind of accidentally got drawn into all this LGBT advocacy work when I was in um, East Tennessee because it was uh, a red state that was trying to pass these terrible bills. So me and a handful of my friends kind of worked with a professor for the semester and ended up getting really involved with the local LGBT group in Tennessee, the Tennessee Equality Project, and did a lot of this work. And at first, it was like a lot for me, and I had never done LGBT advocacy work before. I had never done any kind of advocacy work, really, and it was really overwhelming at first. But as time went on, I really fell in love with doing advocacy work, and I realized, whoa, I'm super good at this. I really like it. It's, it's challenging, but fun. And I ended up going on that summer to D.C. to intern at a big national LGBT organization doing policy work. And from there, I spent the next roughly five-ish years um, doing LGBT policy and advocacy work and working on marriage equality campaigns. So I feel like if I hadn't gone to Maryville that that one semester in Tennessee, when all my friends were super concerned at first, when I I told them I was going there, they were like, what? You're going to college in East Tennessee as a black queer trans person? But if I hadn't gone to Maryville for that semester, I definitely don't think I would have started doing LGBT advocacy work, at least not as seriously as I did. And that really started my career and ultimately led me to teaching. Um, so I'm kind of thankful in a way <laughs> that I went to Maryville. And I still am very close to that professor and still talk to people um, who are current students, who are alumni. I've, I've gone back and done Trans 101 trainings um, with professors and students at Maryville. So I'm still very involved um, to an extent in, in, in the Maryville College community and still kind to follow what's going on in Tennessee. So, mm-hmm. well, and I think not that only that really did it lead you to teaching, so it led you to Point Foundation too, because it, it was that amazing advi- record of advocacy that you had that got you the scholarship. So, <laughs> I'm glad. That you <laughs> yeah, there. yeah. So it, <laughs> yeah. Led me, it led me to you know working at Glisten, the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network, which ultimately led me to teaching, and then got me to Point. So, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> right, right. And I think this also highlights again the importance of this professor. It seems like she was just crucial. Yeah, I mean, not that you wouldn't have found your path to doing some really powerful work regardless, but it really yeah. sounds like she enabled that quite a bit. Yeah, Dr. Lucas definitely enabled that a, a, a lot. And like I said, she, I, I still talk to her. We're, we're still Facebook friends. And she she's kind of known in East Tennessee and in Tennessee in general as kind of like everyone's gay mom. Um, she was like the PFLAG director of, like, of, of the local PFLAG chapter a very, very long time. She was recently actually the Grand Marshal for Knoxville Pride. So she is like the most supportive educator. I've, one of the most supportive educators I've ever met and never had the pleasure of working with. And she's still at Maribel. So it definitely goes back to my earlier point about like, like doing research on professors. And again, I didn't do research on professors. I 
just went to Maryville Blind. I had no idea Dr. Lucas was there. I just got lucky. But, you know, if you do your research ahead of time, you, can, you too can find your own Dr. Lucas and have a professor that really pushes you. Um, and she wasn't even my professor in terms of she never, I never took a class with her. She was in the education department, and at the time I was a political science major. So I never actually took a class with her. She literally just found me on campus because the librarian had told her about me. So, um, like, again, like, goes back to, doing research on professors and finding those um, older people on campus who can really mentor you and help you. Mm -hmm. And And I think that says something about the beauty of a small college as well. You know, that she could just go find you um, (laughs) and make, yeah. Yeah. Maryville's pretty small. It's about 1,200 students. Um, so it, it, the, the high school that I'm going to teach at in the upcoming fall is is almost twice the size of Maryville College. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, one thing I would add, too, to what Bryce said about activism is that, you know, our, our Point Foundation scholars are the most incredible group of, of leaders. and But, you know, they're just... Um, a, a small percentage of the number of incredible LGBTQ leaders that are out there across the country. And one of the things we've seen with our scholars is that, especially for those that end up at a school that may be not as um, welcoming or progressive, is that they, they end up being the ones doing the work to make it. Um, more of a a safe space for LGBTQ students. So if you find yourself in a school that is not what you were hoping it would be in terms of being a a safe, welcoming space for LGBTQ people, do what you can to make it that way. You know, um, put yourself out there and become a leader um, and and change the school. You know, that is what is needed right now because um, if you don't do it, then who will? So I would, you know, just recommend that, you know, wherever you go, um, put in, in the work to, to become a leader on campus and, and apply for a point scholarship, especially if you do that, because um, that is really um, one of the key things that we look for for the Point Foundation scholarship is, is uh, LGBTQ leadership. So um, I would definitely recommend that folks do that. I think that's great advice. What, um, so, but let's dig into that a little bit more. Like where could a student start who's, you know, out of college, maybe certainly has some friends, but there's just some things that they're like, this needs to change. So, so where do you advise that they start? Like what should they do first? I think it varies on a case to case basis. You know, uh, all of our point scholars every year um, that they are a scholar uh, receiving a scholarship, they have to complete a community service project. Um, and one of the main things that we advise them when selecting a community service project is identifying um, the needs of their community. So, you know, a lot of our scholars, especially those that are, you know, freshmen heading out to college, they're going into a brand new environment and they may have big ideas about what they want to do, but then get there and realize that there's actually no actual need for what they wanted to do and have to, to regroup. So it's really important to just... Um, get on the ground and and observe and listen and see what the needs of the community are. Um, And then you can go in and and fill that gap uh, and provide, uh, Uh do what you can to provide the services that are required of that community. Who, if they weren't sure where to start though, I mean, are there particular people on campus that you would recommend talking to like a Dean of Students office or an admissions office, um, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that right there is a great place to start, you know, and if there is an LGBT resource center or uh, an LGBT group, that's another good place to start. But also find, again, going back to where we began this conversation, find that community, Um, find the other, you know, queer people that you know, um, and find out what needs they have that are not being met. So, you know, put in the work to find those people, you know, be it through social media or what have you. Um, and really just become that community organizer and, and listen to what their needs and sort of start focus grouping those people um, to find out what they need and, and how you can help them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go around, talk to different people. Um, one of the things I want to add, too, by the way, is, I mean, I worked in college admissions for 10 years, and um, I would sometimes be on hiring committees. And, you know, the students, I mean, I went to Reed College, which is a fairly LGBTQ-friendly place. Um, but, you know, having students saying, look, we need some representation on the faculty, like, we want this to be a pro 
gay, lesbian, LGBT place. Um, you know, that can make a difference. So I'd also sort of point that out and like running for office, you know, University of Michigan recently had, I think, their first gay president of the student body, which I thought was great. So um, find your community, but also, I think, looking for positions of influence on campus. Would you advise that as well? I, I would I would definitely. Yeah, um, I, I, I did not. I never ran for student office when I was in school, but had some friends that did. Um, and I, I definitely have seen the impact that, um, you know, student uh, student student like student body presidents and student councils can make on college campuses. So I would definitely agree with that point. A hundred percent to encourage LGBT youth. To, to, you know, run for office on their on their campuses, whether that's student body or, or whatnot, you know, to CRA to step into different leadership positions. And again, like kind of like I said earlier, too, to do things outside of the LGBT community um, or that aren't necessarily LGBT specific on campus and find leadership roles there. I know for me at Brown this past year, that meant playing club baseball. Um, I've always been a competitive athlete and I always grew up playing a variety of sports, including baseball. And I played played on the club baseball team at Brown this year. Um, I was like the oldest kid on the team. I was like the only trans student on the team and one of two grad students. So I played baseball all year with a bunch of like 19 and 20 year old undergrads at Brown. And I know for me, it was a really cool experience because they were all, for the most part, I'm 99% sure they were all cisgender straight guys and not, not the first group of people you would think of when you think of like accepting a trans teammate or a trans guy, but they were all like incredibly welcoming and so amazing to me. And I know a few of them at the end of the season even said how like, how much like me being their teammate, like educated them on trans issues or like changed their mind or like made them think about trans people differently. So I think that's also like most people wouldn't say like, Oh, playing club baseball isn't really like a leadership thing. But I think for me, A, like helped me keep my sanity throughout what was a very stressful grad program. But B, it also like helped me educate by accident, kind of, a, you know, a group of 20 guys who had never really been exposed to transgender people or, or like trans issues before. So for me, that was like a kind of a cool undercover example of leadership, I think. So Mm-hmm. And that might be more comfortable for the student who's not ready to go in and run for office, but just get out there and be involved in the community. Um, I yeah, think the, Frank, Yeah. And actually, I'll just say, I think that's great advice for every student. I talk regularly to students who say, I'm not going to get involved. I'm going to be too busy with my studies. And I say, that's not, that's a good way to lose your mind. You need to have social outlets. So this is good for everyone. Um I was wondering, Bryce, I'd I'd like to kind of um, address your experience here. And Jonathan, you can probably weigh in on this, too. Are there special challenges that students who are trans um, or gender non-binary face above and beyond what gay and lesbian students face? I mean, I think we're probably all aware that there are still sometimes homophobic um, incidents on campus. But, you know, kind of what happens, what might happen beyond what a gay lesbian student might face? Yeah, I mean, I can. I don't want to be too broad on this, but I, I want to try to stick to my experience as much as possible. But I, I do think that, you know, for the most part, people are more comfortable or more educated now about gay and lesbian issues than they are transgender issues. I still think there's, like, a lack of public awareness around what it means to be transgender. Um, and there are, you know, a few out celebrities who are trans, like Laverne Cox, who's, like, amazing. He watched Orange is the New Black. And there has been definitely an increase, I think, the past few years uh, around, like, what it means to be transgender and trans awareness. But at the same time, you know, transgender people still face incredibly high rates in terms of, like, hate crimes, especially transgender people of color, more so like trans women of color, Um, you know, several states right now or in the past year or so have tried to pass, um, you know, bathroom bills that basically criminalize transgender people using the bathroom. So I do think there is, um, you know, an extra stigma in terms of like what, in terms of being transgender on campus versus just being gay and lesbian. But it's also really important to point out that there are transgender people who are gay and lesbian. Like like myself, you know, I I am married to a woman, but I identify as queer. um, And I've had relationships in the past with with people of all different gender identities. So I think that's also, like, important to keep in mind. I would just say, like, 
I remember for me at Maryville, my two biggest challenges was around like access to housing and public accommodations, like bathrooms, for example. So because I was the first transgender student they'd ever had at Maryville, they like didn't really know like what to do in terms of things like bathrooms. So basically, they are just like, um, like, hey, we want to make sure you're as comfortable as possible. Tell us what to do. And that's kind of how I helped them create um, dinner, more, we created more gender-neutral bathrooms on campus. And, you know, I worked out a plan with them in terms of using the men's bathroom. And it was totally fine. Like, no one ever said anything to me. And then in terms of, like, my housing, I was living in a co-ed dorm, but I was on the female floor, technically. Um, but the girls on the floor were, like, super cool with me. Like, everyone kind of knew I was, like, the guy on the floor. My RA was, like, amazing. And I had worked it out with the campus administration where um, the next year I was at Maryville, which I didn't go back because I was still in D.C. working. But had I gone back to Maryville the next year, I had worked it out with the administration that I was going to have male roommates. And, like, I, I knew the guys that I was going to room with, and they were very, very cool and, like, super accepting and, and finally being trans. So I worked it out in terms of, like, housing and public accommodations, but I think it's really common for trans students to be nervous about those two things um, and not always know how to work how to work it out. Um, and I would just say on that front, like, you really have to advocate for yourself and, like, as difficult as that can be because, like, especially if you're a freshman because it's a new place, you might not really know anybody, you might be far from home. Like, it's, I, I totally get it's super hard to advocate for yourself, but sometimes, you know, as a transgender student or just as a student in general, really, there are going to be situations where you have to kind of step up and say, hey, this is what I need and, and really kind of um, just, just ask for what you need. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Visibility is so key to the LGBTQ community. And, you know, just in the past 20 years, what we've seen with, with gay and lesbian and bisexual uh, communities has been really significant in terms of increasing acceptance, you know, ever since Ellen came out, really, um, making it safe for people to come out uh, and, and be themselves in terms of their sexual orientation. But um, we're kind of in an exciting time right now for um trans and gender nonconforming people because that movement is really sort of just now coming into the limelight with increased visibility with people like Laverne Cox, um, as Bryce mentioned, or um, Chaz Bono and, and others that, you know, are putting themselves out there and increasing visibility and, and putting these issues at the forefront. So, you know, just a point foundation, I've been here for six years now. When I first started in 2011, our applicant pool, um, we had 12% of the applicant pool identified as transgender or gender nonconforming. And now this year, 30% of our applicant pool identified as transgender or gender nonconforming. So people, I think that's really indicative of, of how much things are changing. You know, trans mm-hmm. people, uh, and just like gay, lesbian, and bisexual people have always been there. It's just that now times are changing so that it, it is becoming safer for people to come out and be themselves. And so um, it is a really exciting time, I think, um, despite, you know, the political climate, because I think culturally, at least, things are going to begin shifting as more people put themselves out there and begin changing hearts and minds for, for trans and gender nonconforming people. All right. Listen, I think that's a wonderful place to stop. Although I feel like I could probably talk to you guys for an entire hour about more. There's there's so much to talk about here. So thank you so much, Jonathan and Bryce. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having, for having us. It's been really great. And if I can just do a, a quick plug to the Point Foundation scholarship application for the uh, the 2018-2019 academic year will open in November. So check out pointfoundation.org uh, to apply for that. Okay, great. That is a well. That is a worthwhile plug. All right, stick around, <laughs> listeners. As next, Shannon Vasconcelos and I will be answering listener questions. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What is your purpose? In the journey that we call life, our values are pre-programmed into us before we're born. During our lives, we pick up life's lessons and soul connections along the way. We explore this path on Soul Sessions with Solstice, featuring hosts Delana Davis and Rita McRae. Our program is designed to help you more confidently live from your heart and not just your head. Tune in live for Soul Sessions with Solstice, every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hi, Shannon. Let's try and answer a few listener questions. And uh, because we've done... Okay, cool. And I was thinking we'd go ahead and focus on finances because I know that people always have a lot of questions about that. Um, So let's start with a question from Marco. What kinds of questions about financial aid and scholarships can we ask on college tours? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say, you know, on a, the college tour, if you're doing a tour with, you know, a student on campus, they should know kind of the basics about the financial aid and scholarship. For any kind of real detailed questions, you'd probably want to schedule an appointment to meet with someone in the financial aid office. Um, but the folks giving the admissions info sessions and maybe leading a campus tour should have some basic information. Um, in terms of any need-based financial aid, if you're counting on that, um, you might want to ask if the school... Um, meets every student's full need. Um, you know, when they, you fill out the FAFSA, they calculate a need level for you, but actually very few schools will guarantee that they'll meet every student's full need. So it would be good to know if that school you're at does meet full need or not. Um, certainly if the school offers merit scholarships, um, most schools do, uh, but there are some schools, the, the most selective ones, don't offer any merit scholarships at all. So if you're counting on scholarships to help you meet that bill, you definitely want to know that. Uh, for the schools that do offer merit scholarships, um, what are the requirements of the scholarship? You know, what kind of students win the scholarships? Um, you know, that will help you let you know if you might be in the running or not. Um, certainly, students on campus um, would be a good resource to ask how, how easy is it to get a job on campus. Um, if you're planning on on working on campus and meeting some of your costs that way, um, at some colleges, it's There's a lot of competition for jobs, so that would be a good thing to know. Um, Another thing I think that might be good to ask, at least for some people, is um, is there a lot of socioeconomic diversity on your campus? Um, You know, there are some schools that cater to a very low-income population. There are other schools that really kind of serve largely a very kind of privileged population if that matters to you, uh, if you want to see diversity on the campus, that would be a great question to ask. I would also say you want to ask probably multiple people on campus about that because, you know, one person's perspective might be, um, 
you know, a little skewed, but if you ask a few people, that might give you a good sense. Also, what kind of career services they offer, you know, that's maybe not your immediate concern, but that may be something that, that's important to you, you know, in terms of making an investment in this education, how easy will it be to get a job after you graduate. So those are kind of a handful uh, of the things that I think might be important to a lot of people. Um, again, kind of uh, tour guide may not know the answers to all these questions, but if you can't get the answer from the tour guide, you know, find somebody on campus at the financial aid office, at the career services office um, that should be able to help you. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give a quick plug for, of course, go to the website. Um, I know yeah. this seems really obvious, Shannon, but I talk to so many families who go, oh, I can look on the website. And I go, yes, you can. Yeah. There's a lot of detail absolutely. on there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. And what, so um, a listener named Abigail is asking, can we use money from a 529 plan to pay for college applications and for standardized tests? So I'm guessing she means college application fees. Fees, Right. Yeah, and the answer, unfortunately, for, for both of those, the college application fees and the standardized test, the answer is no. 529 plans, um, for anyone listening that doesn't know, uh, 529s are a tax-advantaged college savings account. So it's a way to save for college and, and get some tax-free growth on the account. Um, so it's a great way, using a 529 is a great way to save for college. If you dig back in the archive, we've done lots of segments on saving for college in a 529. Um, but they can only be used, you only get that tax advantage, uh, that tax break, if you use the money in the 529 for actual college costs once you're enrolled. Um, you can't use them um, for pre-college costs, like the application fees and the standardized tests. Um, once you're actually enrolled, they can pay for almost everything in terms of college costs, tuition fees, Roman board, required books and supplies, computers, even special needs services if those are required. Um, They can really cover most uh, costs associated with actual college enrollment. Um, The big expense that I would say that you cannot use a 529 for, that for some people it's a big expense for college, is travel. If you're going to college out of state, you have to buy plane tickets. A 529 cannot cover that. Uh, but it can cover most other college costs once you're actual, actually enrolled, but none of the pre-college costs, no application fees, no standardized tests. So sorry, Abigail can't use the 529 for that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, if she can use it for all that other stuff, that's pretty helpful. Exactly. So. Yeah. All right. So a listener named Jamie asked, my daughter is going to be a senior next year. If she gets a job this summer, will it hurt her chances of getting financial aid? Uh, short answer is, in all likelihood, no. Um, so, so first of all, um, just in terms of the timing, so Jamie said she's going to be a senior next year. I'm assuming she means the next academic year, so this fall she's going to be a senior. Um, so the what's really kind of crucial with financial aid applications is the timing. Um, so an, a rising senior is going to graduate in 2018. Financial aid applications, I look back uh, two years into the past at your income. So if she's graduating in 2018, that first year's financial aid is actually based on 2016 income, so last year's income. Um, You do have to reapply for financial aid every year, so this year's income, 2017 income, will eventually be looked at, but for her sophomore year financial aid application. Um, So just to kind of get our brains wrapped around the timing a little bit, this year's summer job will actually probably affect sophomore year financial aid application. Um, But the good thing about the financial aid formula is that it includes what's about a $6,400, what they call student income protection allowance. So what that means is the first $6,400 of income a student has every year is absolutely ignored at most schools. It does not cost them any financial aid. Um, So if your daughter happened to have a very, very well-paying summer job where she earned over $6,400, that would certainly affect financial aid eligibility, again, for sophomore year of college. Um, But most kids, you know, aren't going to come close to cracking that $6,400 figure with a summer job. So working over the summer should not... Um, hurt Jamie's daughter at all. And that having that allowance in the formula was intentional. You know, the government didn't want to provide a disincentive for kids to work a summer job. So 
Um, so kids can earn up to that $6,400 every year without having to worry about losing financial aid. It won't affect your financial aid at most schools up to that $6,400 figure. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So Scott was asking, in the breakdown of costs listed on the college's website, I see a charge for health insurance. My daughter is already covered under my health insurance, so can I get out of this bill? Yes, absolutely, um, but you have to be proactive about it. Um, so if folks, if folks on the line have kids starting college in the fall, they'll be getting their fall semester tuition bill probably next week. Most schools release those first semester tuition bills the first week in July. Um, and a lot of people, if you look closely and look at the breakdown of costs, will see a health insurance charge there. Um, but most people probably don't need that health insurance. So kind of the default option is at most schools is they require all their students to be covered with health insurance. They'll automatically bill you for the school's health insurance plan unless you specifically submit paperwork to opt out. Um, so there'll be fine print somewhere on that bill or you'll have received information in some form, and sometimes this information gets emailed to the student and the parent never sees it, so you have to be pretty proactive. Uh, but there should be some paperwork that you can fill out, um, and what you generally have to do is like attach something um, verifying that she's covered um, by another insurance plan. Like if you get in health insurance through your work and your daughter's covered through that, you just have to document that she's covered by other insurance, uh, and request that the college's health insurance charge be waived. Um, so colleges will do that for you. You just have to be proactive in letting them know that she's covered elsewhere. Uh, fill out that required paperwork. Um, they'll have deadlines for that paperwork. You need to know what those deadlines are and make sure you're meeting those deadlines. So don't kind of ignore that charge. Um, don't let you know time slip by because you might miss a deadline and be forced to pay for that health insurance. So yes, you can opt out of the health insurance, but you have to be proactive about it. Okay. All right. And I think with that, we're out of time. Thank you so much, Shannon. You're very welcome. My pleasure. And thanks so much to my other guests today, Jonathan Rosales and Bryce Salato of the Point Foundation. Next week, Beth Heaton will return as the host, and she'll be taking a look inside the University of San Francisco admission process, discussing college payment plans, and also going over how to get started on developing a college list. Finally, I want to remind you, every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download them for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find all our past shows, including those featuring the Office Hour segments, which began on June 30th, 2015, or last week's show when we, when we discussed applying to Georgetown and scholarships with late deadlines. And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes so other people can find us. It only takes a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. Um, And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.